This is the TriDot Podcast. TriDot uses your training data and genetic profile combined with predictive analytics and artificial intelligence to optimize your training, giving you better results in less time with fewer injuries. Our podcast is here to educate, inspire, and entertain. We'll talk all things triathlon with expert coaches and special guests. Join the conversation and let's improve together. Together. Welcome, everyone, to a brand new episode of the TriDot Podcast. Hey, if you could just take a quick moment, wherever you are, uh, you know, hit the subscribe button on whatever podcast platform you are listening through. Uh, we would really appreciate the love from our podcast audience. Um, you know, hitting subscribe and leaving us a review just helps our show find its way to brand new listeners. So thanks so much in advance for doing that. Um, hey, brand new episode and a brand new um, special guest on the podcast. I love getting people on the show who are smarter than me uh, and who know more than I do about the topics that we as triathletes care about. And today is one of those days where we have a brand new expert for you guys to learn from. So uh, introducing Mr. BJ Leeper. BJ graduated from the University of Iowa Carver College of Medicine with a doctorate in physical therapy and rehabilitation science. He's a board-certified orthopedic specialist, a certified strength and conditioning specialist, and a USAT triathlon level one coach. He specializes in comprehensive movement testing and injury prevention among athletes and has worked with numerous amateur and professional triathletes, duathletes, and track and field athletes. BJ, thanks for coming on and lending your expertise to the TriDot Podcast. Hey, thanks for having me, Andrew. I appreciate it. Also joining us today is Coach Elizabeth James. Elizabeth came to the sport from a soccer background and quickly rose through the triathlon ranks using TriDot, from a beginner to top age grouper to a professional triathlete. She's a Kona and Boston Marathon qualifier who has coached triathletes with TriDot since 2014. Elizabeth, thanks for joining us. It is always great to be here, and I am especially excited today to be recording with BJ. It's going to be great. I'm Andrew, the average triathlete, voice of the people, and captain of the middle of the pack. As always, we'll roll through our warm-up question, settle in for our main set topic, and then wind things down with our cool-down. Lots of good stuff. Let's get to it. Time to warm up. Let's get moving. Whether it's Michael Jordan gutting it out through his famous flu game or Tiger Woods winning the U.S. Open on a broken leg, stories of battling through injury can be found from just about every sport. BJ, Elizabeth, to kind of warm us up today, tell us about a time in your athletic career where you fought through an injury during a competition, game, or race. And BJ, it's your first time on the show, so I will let you share your story first. So, so my wife is, was actually a great runner, um, Boston qualifier back in the day before I met her. So, you know, I, I was not into running at all, um, really prior to meeting her. So of course we start running together and actually the paces that she would maintain training for a marathon were really challenging for me. So we, we decided we were going to race Twin Cities Marathon together. This would have been 2006, the fall. So to try to make a long story short, um, we train leading up to that race. I'd never been running before and I start getting this knee pain, um, just this sharp pain on the outside of my left knee. And, you know, I had, I had gone through physical therapy school, knew a lot of X's and O's, nuts and bolts of orthopedic injuries, 
but I literally thought I was, I had a torn meniscus in the outside of my knee, my lateral meniscus. And as we're training, it, we, so you're like you're like trying to self-diagnose yourself as you're running. Yeah, right. And I I figured, oh man, I I should be able to know what's what's happening with my body. Anyways, we get to race day, and it's a little warmer day than usual, in the fall and in, in the Twin Cities area. And you know, like I said, we had tapered. I felt great. So we head out in the first three miles. I'm just like this, you know, restrained beast. I'm like, ah, I feel so good. I'm going too slow. Like, I just want to go. And I turn to my wife at like mile three and I'm like, I'm just going to go for it and see how good I can do. (laughs) (laughs) And, and she looks at me like, uh, okay, whatever. (laughs) And so I literally start just pushing the pace way faster than what we had trained. I'm, I'm literally probably going a minute per mile faster pacing-wise than than what we had planned or what she had planned to run. So things go okay up through the first half. Um, I start feeling a little twinge in the outside of my knee, but nothing major. And then I get to the proverbial mile 20, hit the wall mark. (laughs) And so instantly then at mile 20, after the sharp pain came on, I started to just cramp up hamstring both sides, calves both sides. And so in my mind, I'm thinking, oh, I'm just dehydrated, right? So I I just start walking at that point because I just can't muster up a run. And I just start drinking any water I can find in sight. So I'm just drinking as much water as I can, not taking any other type of nutrition in. And pretty soon, at like mile 21, the the horizon starts to get wavy, right? And I can barely like see straight. <laughs> so I'm thinking something is seriously wrong with me. And again, I'm thinking it's just a hydration issue. I just keep chugging water. And in hindsight, I was actually becoming hyponatremic, making my my electrolyte balance even worse by just taking water. And so I'm at mile 23, roughly. And just like the tortoise and the hare, here comes my wife trotting along. And I see her out of the corner of my eye because, you know, it's a big race and you sometimes you can't see everybody as you're passing. And I just yell to her. She passes me. I yell to her, Jody. And she turns and looks, and and she had had actually thought that I had finished the race, come back to like jog the rest of it in with her, <laughs> like some stud that is just like you know jogging after the marathon for a cool down because they didn't get enough out. How nice of her to think that. <laughs> I know, I know. So she she looks at me, and as she thinks I'm just running it back to finish with her, well, she gets closer and sees that I'm like white as a sheet. And I literally, the next two miles, I literally have to like throw my arm around her in order to just walk straight because not only was the pain in my knee significant, but I was just getting pretty messed up at that point. And there's this race finishing picture of both of us finishing together, just like my wife had wanted. But the look on her face was like this smile of pure joy. My face looked like death worn over. (laughs) And we finished the race. I felt bad because I totally took her off her pace and she had to just help me finish. But it was just this gut-wrenching, just kind of getting through not only that knee pain, but this horrible 
imbalance in my system just for being foolish and how I approached it. A long story to kind of tell about my pushing through an injury, but um, it kind of goes along hand in hand with my humble entry into the endurance sports realm. So everyone should feel a little bit better in this, in the fact that a, you know, doctor in physical therapy has also made uh, poor decisions out on the race course uh, at, at times. So. Oh, man. <laughs> yeah, the worst, the worst decision. It, it also makes me wonder how many spouses out there have had to help another spouse to the finish line of a race, because Elizabeth on the podcast has shared a story of having to help her husband to the finish line of a marathon uh, from, from kind of yeah. having, from fighting through the flu uh, on a marathon day. So I feel like we could have like a marriage <laughs> and marathon, you know, stories right, series or right. something. There's <laughs> probably a lot of good ones out there. Exactly. Uh, well, Elizabeth, for you, what was a, uh, a time in your sporting career, whether it was uh, soccer or triathlon or running that you um, kind of braved your way through an injury in competition. Well, yes, goodness. I, I certainly have a story or two on that topic. And like you said, I mean, going back to uh, a knee injury in soccer and um, there's some great battle stories along the way, uh, some of which, honestly, I'd be embarrassed to admit in front of our uh, physical therapist expert BJ here, as I'm sure he would not have advised racing in some of those injured states. That's where you, you get through the race and then you call BJ to right. tell, him, yeah. tell him what you did. <laughs> be yeah. like, oh, so ask, for, fix this. ask for forgiveness later. Isn't that, yeah, something. Um, right, right. But for me, I, I think my most memorable injury was an Olympic distance triathlon that I raced in 2019, where I had crashed on the bike, I broke my right hand, and then yet decided to continue uh, to finish it and actually won the event. So that was the battle through injury that had a happy ending. Yes, when we say Elizabeth is our resident pro triathlete here at TriDot, she can crash, break her hand uh, on the bike course of an Olympic triathlon and still win uh, overall female, uh, for the entire thing. So that's when I talk about, she's faster than me. That's, that's what, it, what I'm talking about right there. So, uh, <laughs> I figured you might share that story and you should share that story because, uh, you know, unlike me and BJ, when we have something go wrong on the course, uh, you still were able to have success and we're, we're, we're we love watching that and, and cheering for that. So on to the main set going in three, two, one. Our main set today is brought to you by TriTats. Whether you're a seasoned Ironman or gearing up for your first local sprint try, TriTats will help you make your mark. These tough, stylish, and easy-to-use race number tattoos make you look and feel like a pro. I personally have raced countless local sprint and Olympic tries where I showed up thinking I had plenty of time to settle in the transition only to find a massive line waiting to be body marked. Switching to TriTats has allowed me to show up on race morning with my focus on the finish line, not the body marking line. If you have an Ironman race this year, their Iron Tats are made especially for you. Iron Tats body mark you for that one key race and include the all-famous MDOT logo. Friends don't let friends race with sharpied on numbers. So as a friend of the podcast, head to TriTats.com and use promo code TRIDOT for 10% off your order. Again, that's tritats.com, promo code TRIDOT. With all the training we put in to succeed as triathletes, injuries have long been thought to just be part of the game. From stress fractures and muscle strains to sore shoulders, backs, and knees and feet, there are multiple physical afflictions our beloved sport can incur upon our bodies. So the big question, of course, is are there things we can do to prevent injury in the first place? Or... 
Are injuries just simply unavoidable in our sport? These are the things we will kick around with Dr. BJ Leeper. So BJ, as we make our way into talk about injury, I kind of I just want folks to understand that we have just industry leading knowledge with you on the mic for this podcast. Can you kind of give everyone you know, the, the highlights maybe of your education and your experience in this field of physical therapy and functional movement? Yeah. So back when I was in undergrad, so like I said, I, I went to went to college to study biology and play basketball and that was kind of the the thing and so i ended up graduating with a degree in biology and chemistry in 2001 i got my bachelor's at that time and then um, i thought i was going to go into research honestly i I was thinking med school and then got into um, the anatomy and cell biology department at the university of iowa doing some research for them and i thought that was going to maybe be my path and I ended up deciding the world of research wasn't for me, and I actually pursued physical therapy. I wasn't really uh, aware of what physical therapists did, because oddly enough, even though I was in and out of the training room in college, I had only worked with athletic trainers, never really had experience with a PT. And so a family friend of ours introduced me to a sports physical therapist in the area I was living, and I shadowed him for one day, and I was instantly hooked on that field and, and just loved it. Just outpatient orthopedic and sports was kind of the avenue I chose. And, and so I went to the U- University of Iowa and got my clinical doctorate in PT in 2005. Ended up um, working for a group out of Kansas City doing uh, sports and, and outpatient ortho. Became board certified in, gosh, I think it was 2012. And then uh, yeah, just kind of got in the world of, of functional movement testing. There's there's some stories behind what got me into that, but actually um, began studying functional movement in 2007 when I first started kind of working under the umbrella of the Titleist Performance Institute out of Oceanside, California. And that's Titleist, the, um, uh, the, the golf company, correct? Yeah, so, so they had a performance division, and I did a lot of training under them because I was going to become, you know, the world-leading expert in golf fitness and correction and in the Kansas City metro. That was kind of my, my original path I started on. And then, you know, like I said, in, in 2007, then shortly thereafter, I'd, I got hooked on the sport of triathlon and just kind of shifted gears. And, and um, you know, I, I started working with TriDot training plans and programming way back in its infancy, probably back 2012. I'm kind of back with the, the John Mayfield era where I can remember the, the old um, Excel spreadsheets and, and all the stuff as we were getting into it at that point. And, People uh, that are to used work. to the TriDot app have no idea what the uh, original oh TriDot athletes yeah. went through to, to get their training plans. <laughs> it's like I'm starting to feel old talking about back in the day when we had Excel spreadsheets driving our training. But yeah, it, it I after doing some study and functional movement screening and testing, I, I just have adopted a lot of those practices into the clinic where I'm at now. Um, and I'm up here now in northwest Montana. My family and I moved up here back in uh, 2017. And in an outpatient ortho and sports environment here, and and yeah, so it's kind of my path. It's it's um, it's been great. I, I love what I do, and I've just really become passionate over the last ten 
to 12 years about triathlon and, and screening triathletes, helping dive into how can we keep triathletes healthy and performing even better. That's awesome. Yeah. I mean, thank you for kind of giving a rundown of that. As Andrew was saying, it's it's just great for our listeners to have a better understanding of your knowledge and expertise that we're not just asking, you know, somebody, hey, what do you think about injury? This is somebody that has really studied this yeah. and I mean, devoted a lot of their professional career to yeah. these specific topics. And that with we're endurance cover. athletes in oh, particular. Yes. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. Um, so BJ kind of, I mean, plenty of our listeners, myself and Andrew included, have had a variety of injuries over the years. And it seems like, you know, some athletes stay healthy, no matter what they're putting their bodies through, where there are others that just seem to be predisposition to have injuries all the time. Um, you know, why does it seem that some athletes are more likely to get injured than others? Yeah, it's a great question. And honestly, it's tough because there's there's so many variables. I always feel like I'm, I'm taking a page out of these guys that have gone before me, some of the smartest guys in the field of health and fitness and medicine. It seems like when they're faced with these tough questions, their answer is always two words. It's the, it depends, right? <laughs> so I feel like that's always like a cop-out answer, but hey, if the smartest and the brightest are saying it, it's it's got to be a thing, right? So the true answer is it depends, right? But there's a lot of variables that I think feed into injury predisposition. And so we always talk about and we know that the biggest predictor of of future injury is previous injury, right? So, you know, your past history of of injury, whether that's overuse or traumatic, um, will obviously influence the body's potential for increased risk um, in the future. So, you know, that's that's one of the things. Uh, there was an interesting study actually in, I think it was early 2000s that came out of a journal JOSPT, which is Journal of Orthopedic and Sports Physical Therapy. It's a great peer-reviewed journal. And, and they were looking at hundreds of triathletes actually out of Australia and kind of tracking these athletes through um, a six-month preseason phase and then looking at their competition season of about 10 weeks and they were actually looking at and just seeing like how many of these triathletes got injured during the course of training preseason and then in competition and and consistent with a lot of research that's out there on you know there's not a lot on triathletes specifically but even just runners and cyclists in general it showed that you know 50% of those triathletes experienced injury and injury defined as taking them out of training or racing for at least one day. Um, and I'm, you know, I, I would think that it's even higher in a lot of scenarios. Because you said 50%, so half? 55, 50, yeah. Wow. So over at least half. And, and so out of those 50% that experienced injury, what they found was that many of the main factors tied to those 50% were, like we said, previous injury history. Um, they actually found that increased years of triathlon experience was a correlating factor, not necessarily their their age, but their age in the sport, right? So even if they were younger, um, chronologically, if they'd been in the sport for a number of years, the, the older you were in the sport, the more high risk you were for, for having an injury. And then increased hours actually found that specifically increased hours of volume of preseason running training 
um, was actually a correlating factor. So for every extra hour per week of preseason running volume-wise, they showed a 12% increased chance or increased risk of injury. So there's some of these predisposing factors that we can see with some literature that obviously feeds in, but a lot of it's just, you know, again, we all have these we all have these um, previous experiences that sometimes set our bodies up unsuccessfully for the future. It's just a matter of, you know, what happened, when did it happen, how long has it been going on for. But, but even, at, even if there's no history of injury and none of those other factors, I think we all have different thresholds. It's like, you know, maybe in our genetic makeup, different things, like we can all run ourselves past threshold. And when we go past threshold, if, if we go past threshold, there's an increased risk. It's just like any car. Some cars can drive 90, no problem. Some cars can drive 140, no problem. But, but every car is going to have a threshold. If you drove it hard enough or long enough or fast enough, it would break down, right? So some people are just good at staying under the threshold, I guess, and some are, are probably pushing past their threshold on a daily basis. Well, and I'm so glad that you, you know, kind of brought up that genetic component too, because this is something that I just find absolutely fascinating about the optimization that Trotout does with our training plans. And I mean, there's, right. there's so many amazing things that the technology can do that drives athlete training with Tridot. I mean, goodness, we <laughs> are able to leverage predictive analytics, machine learning, artificial intelligence, and then we have nearly two decades of athlete data to offer these unparalleled training optimization with. Um, but specifically speaking to injury predisposition, there are these additional insights from an athlete's genetic profile that can be considered within that as well. And so I, I would almost feel remiss if we didn't mention that, you know, trot out athletes have the opportunity to have their physiogenomics analysts or analysis as part of their training, which can be completed by, you know, uploading your genome from Ancestry.com or 23andMe to your training plan. And then that's going to include detailed results of more than two dozen genes that are directly linked to training intensity response, aerobic potential, and then recovery rate and injury predisposition. And so knowing that genetic component of your injury predisposition, you know, how genetically prone you are to those soft tissue, tendon and ligament injuries um, from training really allows for adjustments in the training plan to help reduce that injury risk too. So Elizabeth, as you're listening to the BJ talk, you know, you're, you're kind of, you know, honing in on the physiogenomics, you know, kind of aspect of what he's talking about. I, I heard him talking and I immediately thought back to last week's episode that just came out uh, where we talked with Trotout founder Jeff Boer about training stress mm-hmm. and the, the NTS, um, you know, metric that we use at Trotout to measure an athlete's training stress. Because uh, BJ just said it just a moment ago. I mean, y- your body can only take so much time at threshold or above threshold before it starts to break down, before you know, you, you risk getting injured. And so, um, you know, I'm thinking back to that episode. And so, if, if you're listening to this and you didn't you, you didn't catch last week's episode, make sure you go back and listen uh, because the 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 training that we have at Tridot. I mean, shameless plug. I mean, we, we don't intend for Tridot training to come up in every single episode, but but it is designed to try to keep you healthier and to try to keep you in the game and to try to mitigate. BJ, like you just said, those junk miles that, that, you know, aren't going to improve you all that much, uh, but come with such a heightened injury risk. So, um, BJ, there is this huge stigma with triathletes, um, Ironman in particular, that, that we're just kind of gluttons for punishment, right? 
uh, and that were more injury prone than athletes from uh, many of the other endurance sports. Um, is this a true kind of stereotype associated with us or, or is this more of a myth that we're more injury prone? Yeah, so funny story. This is this is kind of what catapulted me into just really being passionate about this with triathlon. But um, so going back to I think it was probably 2008, 2009. So when I was doing some of the training under Titleist, I was out in Oceanside, California, and I'm I'm talking with some of the the greatest minds in our industry. You know, these world renowned. PTs and MDs and chiropractors. And one of the PTs in particular had just finished giving everyone a seminar. And I'm sitting there and I'm surrounded by all these really smart guys. And, and one guy in the room, it's we're kind of after the session, there's probably 10 of us just sitting around a table, just shooting the breeze. And one guy in particular, he kind of piped up and asked, uh, asked the lead conference seminar speaker, he said, because uh, he knew this guy owned his own PT practice and and uh, was operating that, and he just said, "Hey, you know, five o'clock on a Friday, who's the last type of person you want to see walk through your doors?" And I'm sitting there. Oh, this could be interesting. I, I was expecting him to say some type of chronic pain patient or you know some some really tough PT clientele. And he doesn't even bat an eye. He just looks at us. He said, it's easy, a triathlete or an ultra runner. <laughs> and I just like, I felt, I felt offended, you know, like I had, I had just gotten into triathlon and I was like, so excited. This is such a great sport. It, you know, it's multi-sport training. You, you exercise, you're healthy. And he just looked at us and said, triathlete or, or ultra runner, easy. He's like, I'd hate to see them walk through my doors at five on a Friday. And so everyone's like, well, why? And he says, because A, they play slave to their training. They won't give it up no matter how much I, I try to tell them they need to, if, if they need to, right? Yeah. Both Andrew and I right now have like guilty looks on our faces like, ooh. <laughs> he's like, I can't, it can't get them out of that. And then B, he's like, they they just continue to drive their bodies in sagittal plane, which is just forward that, you know, they don't have any complementary training for their body. And so their body just runs down this road of more and more dysfunction Yeah, and they don't, they don't change it. And, and not only that, but they're, they're putting a lot of volume into that pattern. And so it was after that time where I was just, you know, I was just like, this can't be like, this has to be changed. Like, what, what can we do? Kind of like that whole summit with future proofing triathlon, like we got to do something. So this was back in 2008. And I just remember thinking, you know, this is such a motivated, healthy, in general, fit population of athletes. It shouldn't have to be that they're, they have a target on their back of they're always injured or, people just know there's a stigma associated with triathletes like they are just a ticking time bomb or a train wreck you don't want to see them walk through your doors i'm like we got to change that and then shortly after that i you know i started talking a lot with jeff boer and he and i you know have had tons of conversations about these types of things but we actually then i think uh it would have been probably 2014 2015 
we were running the the pro camp um, out of Dallas there, and and I went down there and we started. You know, Jeff and I had talked about this, and so we started screening some of the pros he was working with, and we had probably ten pros at these camps on two different years. And and I remember thinking, you know, I really want to get my eyes on these guys and just screen them because I know these guys are the top of their game in the world of triathlon. I just want to see like how do they move? Do they really? move poorly or, or what is their injury predisposition truly look like? And I remember we had a questionnaire we gave all these pros, and in the questionnaire, we asked them, um, what is your previous injury history? And we even qualified it by saying injury had to be defined as taking you out of, and I made it long because I just wanted to really make sure it was a true injury injury. And so we, we called it two weeks or longer, um, which took you out of training and or racing. Um, so two weeks was the qualifying factor. And I expected, you know, these guys are young. They're in their 20s, prime of their fitness career. And I expected by making that a two-week qualifier that we'd maybe see a list of maybe each person would have maybe one in their history that would have taken them out that long. We had a laundry list from these wow. guys. <laughs> these guys are great pros. And we had a laundry list of, on average, I think we saw about four significant injuries per athlete that they listed that took them out of training and or racing for more than two weeks. And I just, it was just confirmation, man, these guys are hurt and, and they're hurt a lot. And what can we do, you know, and, and, and some of the things we tested and we screened, and I know Jeff has alluded to this before in a podcast, but, you know, some of the factors, because the movement screens we did, they didn't move a lot different than our amateurs. And so it wasn't like a physical prowess thing as far as just functional movement that made them elite or made them professional level. Um, we found with some of the tests, they literally could just endure more pain and suffer more. And I just think like, you know, watching videos and movies about pre, pre-Fontaine, like uh, that's, yes. that's the, <laughs> that was always the thing surrounding him. Like these guys, they can just gut it through more and they can hurt more, hurt for longer. And that's what makes some of these guys, honestly, the best at what they do. But having said that, you can only do that for so long before it comes back to bite you, right? So um, looking at that, like it's it's a thing. It's a true, true thing. Everybody in our industry recognizes it, especially with the world of endurance sports and triathlon. So again, it's 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 definitely true. It's not a it's not a a, a myth. That's for sure. Yeah, I, I in my um, a, a previous job um, at, at a television network I worked at. Um, you know, there was a girl there who is a ultra runner, marathoner, um, and she and I were, were probably the two most experienced endurance athletes on, on staff. And, you know, triathlon was my hobby, you know, marathon and, and hundred Ks, hundred milers were her hobby. And, um, you know, we, we would always laugh because I, you know, I was faster than her at 5k, 10k, whatever, but you know, on the year, you know, Strava will kind of give you your end of year. How many miles did, did you run? And, um, she she would routinely in, in the four or five years I was on staff have between twenty five hundred and three thousand miles uh, running a year, um, and and that was farther than I swam, bike, and run 
in a year uh, on try dot <laughs> training for 70.3s and and i i throughout the year we would just have these little you know foot foot pain would take me out for a week uh, a little knee thing would take me out for another week and and she just can can keep up those miles you know, 3000, you know, miles a year running and just never seems to have an injury. And, and it, it would just, you know, boggle my mind and almost, you know, I was, I'm happy for her that she's that way, but it's like, what, you know, why is she that way? And I, and I'm, and I'm not that way. Um, so, so being a triathlete in practice, you know, with the day-to-day training, the three sports, the strength stuff, all the meters and miles, um, with everything that we do, um, you know, can, ath- you know, in- injuries actually be prevented? Are-, are there things that we can do to make these somewhat, you know, can- can kind of not happen to us? Yeah, again, a great question. I, th- I think that <laughs> we could go back to it depends, right? Um, with everybody having a different history, you know, whether or not that gal you mentioned, it'd be interesting. Who knows her previous injury history? Has she ever been injured before? If not, maybe that's why. Who knows? Um, what's, how does she move outside of running? Like what's her, what's her body fundamental movement capacity or functional movement capacity look like? How does her fundamental movement pattern? So there's, there's kind of this adage that I've adopted at the clinic and, you know, we talk about it a lot just with, with honing in on your true deficits. Like how can we, how can we prevent? And what's, what's interesting in our world of, of medicine is just how much we react within our medicine. It's it's we're so much reactive versus proactive, right? Um, we we po- we pop a pill when things hurt. We, you know, we focus on this once we're finally hurting, and it's just literally shut us down. Um, there's some areas of our health system that that don't do this that I think we need to really learn from and, and adopt. Like you look at dentistry, for example, like how many people go in a couple times a year to their dentist um, because just because they know they should, prophylactic care, right? And and when there's no issue, we don't do that in the area of, of fitness and, yeah. and rehab. You know, we, we react when it hurts. So I think the key is, you know, this this adage I, I've learned lately that I've been using a lot is, you know, you don't go to sniper school to learn how to shoot. You go to sniper school to to learn how to aim. And I think that's the key is is what are we aiming at? How how can we become a sniper within our when within our own fitness and preventative care versus just shooting at a bunch of things? You know, like I think we 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 try to be maybe proactive in some regards, and I think a lot of times we're just shooting at things and you know we're following oh the my magazine told me top 10 things i should be doing and, and Here, I'm here's to the do top 10 things. stretches all cyclists should be doing right. before your rides yeah like think yeah right and and maybe you get lucky and maybe one of those things catches you where you need it and it helps but but maybe you're just shooting and maybe you're just you're just exercising and putting fitness on dysfunction. Maybe you'd be better off not even doing any of those, you know? And so that's, and that's assuming any of us are taking the time to even pursue something, right? A lot of us don't even take that time to, to pursue something else. So I think the, the first key to prevention and, um, and really setting our bodies upright is, is just being a sniper. And I think that starts with knowing your body, knowing your previous history, and thinking about, okay, I, I know I've had this issue before, and maybe it's not an issue now, but I want to make sure it doesn't become an issue later. Uh, what, can, what can I do to pursue 
something to affect that. And I think the best best way to do it is to seek a professional. And obviously I'm biased because this is what I do, but but I think seeking a professional that's that's good in becoming a sniper and, and for you and helping you with that because it's not just about you know the area that you hurt either. And that's the other thing that's important to know. Like we we work um, collectively as a bunch of patterns of movement and you know we're collectively a bunch of parts put together to move in patterns but it's you know your knee hurts it's not always just your knee you know maybe it is maybe it isn't but you need somebody maybe to help you there and and to give you some guidance and a lot of times professionally when we when we seek help of someone that's really good that can help us be a sniper it's it's not someone that's going to help us necessarily turn something on i always find that the best professionals out there are really good at what they do not because they help somebody turn something on like a strength training thing but honestly they help people turn things off and they inhibit the the area that might be might need to be turned off in order for you to then turn something on and there's i mean we could get into a whole podcast on this alone but at the end of the day i think a lot of times we need to be able to control the variables we can control and the only way it's like a it's like going to a self-help seminar. It's like the only way you can know how to start helping yourself is acknowledging there's a problem, right? So I think that's that's the start. We have to acknowledge that we have to be proactive, not just reactive, and we need to be be snipers in our in our corrective exercise training. I love that. We can learn to be snipers and be a little more proactive. Um, and one of the things that, as, as you were talking about this, kind of came to mind as a question, and I know that I've, you know, come across this with athletes that I've been coaching, I've, I've thought it myself. Um, so I guess, BJ, I'd love to get your thoughts on, you know, when an athlete does feel some pain or discomfort starting to creep in, whether it's, you know, a muscle, a joint, et cetera, you know, how do we know when to train through it, when to take some time off, or when it's time to head to a doctor or a physical therapist to get some help? Yeah, again, great question, because I think there's a lot of things that, you know, I always tell my patients that nobody knows your body better than you. And so mm-hmm. I think our own natural intuition really serves us well. I mean, you, you might have somebody that knows the physiology of your body better than you, but but you naturally have this intuition of, of what's working well, what's maybe not working well. So I think, you know, I'm, I'm always telling guys, when in doubt, don't, you know, when in doubt, probably not a good idea to push through something. But but when is it time to actually ask for professional help? I, I think sometimes we can categorize our injuries in into three different buckets. Um, sometimes it's hard to know exactly, but but a lot of times an injury can, can be due to mechanical stress, whether it's a joint mobility dysfunction or a tissue extensibility issue, basically saying whether you're stiff in a muscle or tight in a joint. Um, you know, I, I sometimes it can be chalked up to that. Sometimes it could be literally a, a chemical issue, like you've, you're in an inflammatory state and you might need a little help to get that under control, but sometimes over-the-counter stuff can cut it. But how do we know when to, to take something even over the counter or like you said when to pursue help Um, and the other one it can be you know sometimes it's a neurological issue it it can be like a not a hardware issue but a software issue where the computer is frozen and it just needs a a reset Um, and and 
again, I think I think guidance, when in doubt, I think guidance can help you here. But it's getting the correct guidance, and that's the other big big issue. Because you know, I'm in the world of PT, and to be quite honest, there's a lot of there's a lot of good PTs out there. There's a lot of bad ones out there, unfortunately. And I think when you feel that intuition to pursue help, I think the key is using your resources to to try to get good direction. Um, sometimes you might know somebody that that had good outcomes with somebody, but I think that a lot of times you you need to pursue and and tr- truly be an advocate of your own care. You need to you need to go and and try to sample different people that might be able to help you. Some might be better better suited than others. I think a lot of times I'll I'll hear people tell me that they they tried physical therapy it didn't work right. And I always tell them, well, maybe you didn't get the right therapist, you know, and because there is a huge difference sometimes. And, you know, you don't hear many people go to a doctor, a medical doctor for something, and maybe they didn't have a good experience. You don't hear many people say, well, I, I tried medicine. It just didn't work, <laughs> right? Yeah. Um, usually they'll be like, well, I just, you know, I didn't really jive with that doctor. I'm going to go seek a different opinion from a different doctor. Mm-hmm. I think the same thing should be held true in, in our world of physical therapy, because obviously this is what I do. I'm biased, but physical therapy can be hugely helpful, as as can chiropractic care. I mean, there's a lot of different professionals. And something funny I just heard the other day that I, I really thought rang true in my world and, and how I like to, to look at things, too, is you know, if you can, if you go to a provider, whatever scope they are in, in general, whether they're chiropractic, PT, massage therapist, you know, um, if you go to them and you can tell what they are, then they might not be the right provider for you. Does that make sense? So what I usually, you know, will describe to people, like if, if they are holding a lot of variable tools that they can use for you, um, they, you want to go to somebody that has an eclectic approach because if you're going to someone that, to be quite honest, always, already knows the treatment plan before they've even diagnosed you, then you're going to the wrong place. So, for example, if I go to a, a chiropractor and, and I know it's just going to be, well, I'm, I'm going to go in and, and they're going to put me on the table and crack my back, and that's, that's all that I do. Same thing when I go to a PT and yeah, they're going to put me on a table and, and give me some bands and, and have me do this exercise. You know, if, if you're going to a provider and you instantly know what they are based on what they're having you do right away out of the gate, then maybe have some skepticism there. You know, I'm, I'm not telling people to, to <laughs> just um, yeah, yeah, yeah. buck everything, but, but I think the key is, is, Finding that right person that you have in your camp is a huge deal to to getting you back on course and, and healthy. And so, you know, getting back to the, the original question, how do you know when it's time? I think your body will tell you. Again, it's kind of that it depends answer. But if in another layer of that is if basic movements hurt, and we're not talking swim, bike, and run, but if basic movements hurt, meaning if I'm just standing and I reach to touch my toes and it hurts, or if I'm just standing and I go to squat trying to keep my heels on the ground and it hurts, um, it's it's definitely not a fitness issue. It's a it's a health issue, right? And I think at that point, you probably need to be screened, um, you know. And there's certain things that we can kind of well, I, I'll take some time off, or well, I'll, I just kind of push through it and it actually gets better after I push through it. 
Well, monitor that because a lot of times you take some time off and maybe it feels good for a while, but it's probably not a matter of if you're going to end up blowing up. It's just when you're going to blow up and you're going to need that professional help and you might be down a road that's even harder to get back from. So I think the key is knowing your body and uh, and just, you know, just seeking help early on, I think, is the key. If you can catch things early, it's it's definitely a good thing. And to really pay attention to those cues that when something's not feeling right, yeah. it's not just, ah, it, it, it'll be okay. Um, but to really hone in don't, on... Don't ignore things for two weeks and then and then wonder why, uh, you know, you're, you're out of commission for two months after you finally go see a PT. But mm-hmm. uh, I'll, I'll kind of offer BJ right. just a quick kind of concrete... Um, for my own, you know, oft injured background, I mean, there, there was a time, um, a few years ago, uh, but before I was on TriDot, um, I was a triathlete, but I wasn't on TriDot yet. Um, and I was experiencing, um, some, some discomfort and pain in my left knee. I couldn't run farther than two, three miles before my left knee would just shut me down, um, you know, by, by, by hurting so bad. And so I, I went and saw a, an orthopedic specialist and he looked at it and he wasn't a triathlete, but, but I could tell in the questions he was asking me. Um, he seems very knowledgeable about runners. He seemed very knowledgeable about running injuries. And, and so after he asked me a bunch of questions, you know, kind of, you know, poked and prodded and bent my knee in a couple of ways. Um, he, he proceeded to tell me, he goes, um, you know, you, and, and you said it earlier, BJ, he's like, he's like, I see this, this kind of knee issue a lot in athletes that, that only go straight forward and that never move side to mm-hmm. side in their sports. He goes, so the, the, the kind of knee pain you're having, I see this frequently in runners and cyclists. Um, and he gave me a, he didn't believe surgery was necessary. He gave me a list of, of kind of stretches and exercises to do, you know, said, Hey, do these two to three times a day for the foreseeable future. Once things settle down, you know, cut back to just doing these semi regularly in in your routine. Um, and guess what? Uh, I did that. It went away. And just as long as I do my little knee exercises, um, you know, a couple times a week, um, I I stay healthy, but, but I, I could tell in the way that he was telling me, Yes, I've seen this in runners and cyclists. It's because all you do is you go straight forward. You're not doing any any lateral movement in your sport, and that's why your knee is doing da 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 da. da. And, and just in his explanation, I, I think it's kind of what you're getting at. You know, make sure the doctor you're seeing isn't just putting you through the motions he puts every athlete through. Make sure it's somebody who's understanding what you do as a triathlete and how that might uh, kind of lend to your situation. Is is that kind of the takeaway there? Right. And I, again, along those lines, I think you need to find a, a provider that, that listens to you. You know, we talk a lot in our clinic about people don't care how much you know until they know how much you care. And obviously the background and knowledge is important, but if you're with the smartest guy in the world and, and he already knows what he's going to do to you or thinks he knows, and you're telling him your story and you can just tell he's not listening to you, um, you know, I'd go somewhere else because I think you have to have a provider that that listens to your story, gets the information, because like we said, one of the biggest predicting factors is previous history, right? And so if, if you've got somebody that will listen to your history, you, you might have something in your history you're telling them that makes all the difference that you might not even think is important, but they hear it, and if they're truly listening, it helps them become the best sniper for you and dial you in. That's that's exactly what you want. And so I think, yeah, just a little bit of time spent with the right individual 
can mean a huge difference in, in how you perform and how you move and, and setting your body up for success. And, and that's the thing. I, I think a lot of times in our world of endurance training, we'll, we'll say, well, let's just take some time off and let it recover. And that might work in some situations, but if you didn't change anything truly outside of just resting, if you didn't change anything to your body, you didn't do any corrective intervention like you had described, Andrew, you know, what do you think is going to happen again? Like it's, it's again, not a matter of if it's going to happen, it's just when. It most likely will cycle back up at some point if you start running past threshold like, like you were before. So I think the key is not just rest, even though that might be needed, but attack it with a purpose and make sure your intervention is, is where it needs to be. Because a little bit of corrective work in the right spot and the right area, it can make a world of difference, you know. So I, I want to assure just all of our athletes in the Tried Out Podcast family, um, you know, BJ, you and I connected, um, you know, re- really at this point, I think a few months back to kind of start talking about getting you on the podcast, having you on the podcast on a regular basis, because, you know, at, at Tried Out, we recognize, I mean, you know, recovering, um, you know, from our workout sessions is so important, you know, staying healthy, uh, um, you know, n- knowing how to navigate uh, injuries and pains and discomfort, um, you know, all, all these things, is, it's so vital to being an athlete in this sport. And, and so, you know, we've already talked, you and I, about having some episodes where we spend 45 minutes just talking about um, particular body parts, you know, hey, what, what are the most common knee issues? What are the most common running issues? What are, you know, when you see people with pain in the feet, you know, what are the most uh, typical things there? And, and so we're gonna kind of go body part by body part uh, here, here in the future, we're also going to kind of, um, hit full, you know, full podcast episodes, talking about compression, talking about dry needling, talking about cryotherapy, um, you know, all all the specific things and strategies we can do, um, to help ourselves recover. So, so I say all that to say a lot of really great, um, you know, information coming with the Tridot team and BJ Leaper. Um, but, but BJ, just, just today to kind of leave us, um, as, as we've talked about injury and, and trying to prevent injury and trying to navigate injury and why we even get injured in the first place, um, what, what would you say to kind of leave us today with a few kind of high-level top tips that you would give our athletes for avoiding injury? So ideally, the perfect scenario is to get screened and to be able to see where the deficit is and attack that specifically for that individual because it's going to be unique to each person. However, if we had to, using the same types of analogies if we had to throw a grenade right and if we had to take as many people down with one or a few philosophies of of um, treating the body you know the the areas we would target you know in in the pt world here at our clinic we talk all the time about mobility and stability mobility is what most people talk about when they refer to flexibility or stretching or or whatnot um, stability is what a lot of people would call strength. However, but stability we know is a little bit different than just isolated strength. It's the right muscle at the right time, um, all these different things. So what's, what's fascinating about the human body is that in our perfect design, we kind of operate with this pattern of what's called regional in- interdependence. So um, not to get too sciency on it, but if you think about how our body's designed and each area of the body kind of has unique properties of both mobility and stability applied to it um, or, or how it performs for us in those areas, but each 
area kind of alt in alternating fashion does a little bit more of one than the other if you if you think about it when we're operating with full normal function and so for example like at the foot if you think about our feet our feet need to be stable obviously they need to be mobile but they need to really be stable and we've we've had tons of research and in, in R&D go into shoes to help us with this right and we know the foot naturally needs to be stable um, you go up the chain next to the ankle. We need a little bit more mobility at the ankle, naturally. And you go to the next joint of the knee. The knee needs to be stable. You go to the next joint of the hip. The hip needs to be mobile. Um, obviously, it needs stability too, but it, it needs mobility. You go to the next area, the lower back. The lower back needs to be stable. You move up the starting to next pick up section. on a pattern here, BJ. Yeah. You see this pattern. The the thoracic spine, your mid back needs to be mobile. Scapulothoracic, your shoulder blades need to be stable. The shoulder joint, glenohumeral needs to be mobile. So this interesting pattern um, in a lot of us, especially those of us that live in America, and we we sit a lot. You know, sitting is the new smoking. Um, we tend to lose those patterns in some way, shape, or form, it's, especially in triathlon. We're, we're hunched over on the bike. We, we tend to lose some of these patterns. And so, again, if we could throw a grenade at triathletes and we could, if we just started talking about mobility first, we could probably cover 75 to 90% of triathletes that would, would need these techniques if you targeted three of the most main areas I see deficits in the human body with mobility, especially with triathletes, it would be ankles, it would be hips, and it would be T-spine or mid-back. So those are the areas that need to be mobile, like we were talking about. And those are the areas that a lot of triathletes and runners that I screen all the time, they are horrible in those areas. I, I <laughs> so, sense a mobility and stability uh, podcast episode in our near future. Yeah. So again, there's there's a lot of techniques. Obviously, you could throw at those three main areas for mobility, but in general, and a lot of people intuitively could figure out what their body needs in this regard. But um, if you're attacking as a triathlete, if if you're attacking your ankle mobility, your hip mobility, and your thoracic mobility on a regular basis, you're going to solve a lot of issues for yourself without knowing any other information. Great set, everyone. Let's cool down. Just a few episodes back, on episode 56 to be exact, Elizabeth and I talked with Tridoc coach Jeff Rains about marathon and half marathon training. And at the end of that episode, we wanted to share some marathon stories from members of the podcast audience. So we got several great submissions, uh, but only one could make it onto that marathon episode. So today, I want to share another story from a TriDot athlete. This comes from Lauren from Michigan, and she shares about taking on a scenic course and fighting through injury to get to the finish line. Back in 2014, I was scheduled for my fifth uh, marathon, uh, Mountain to Beach Marathon, I believe it's called, out in Ojai, California. Um, I was hoping to re-qualify for Boston, uh, getting myself in pretty good shape. And about three weeks uh, before the marathon, uh, all of a sudden an old ankle injury uh, just flared up, uh, sort of out of the blue, um, and got to the point that I, I could hardly walk normally, let alone run. 
I took about two weeks off before the marathon, um, just not running. I could, you know, try to get through a mile or two. Um, but obviously we were headed to California. It was, uh, me and my boyfriend at the time and, uh, decided to make a, a go of it. And, uh, at the start line, I told myself I could just get through a half, uh, then, you know, maybe I'd call it quits after that and just feel good about it. Um, and uh, powered through the half, and I was cruising. Everything felt good, you know, holding a 740, 745 uh, pace. And um, I told myself, well, it's starting to hurt, but I'm going to keep going. So around mile 16, it's really talking to me. And all of a sudden, the marathon narrows down from kind of nice open roads and, um, you know, winding to... Uh, uh, basically chain link fence six feet high on each side of the sidewalk that we're running down. And there's only uh, refreshment or brake stops every couple of miles. And so by the time I get to one of those brake stops, I'm at mile 18. And I think, well, that's silly. I shouldn't stop now. I should keep going. So I'm really gimping along at this point. And, you know, uh, another couple miles, now you're at mile 20, you might as well, you know, finish so I decided not to stop. And that ankle is talking to me. And obviously, pace continues to slow down because uh, that hurts. And um, by the time I got out from that uh, sort of chain link fenced in area where there would be any reasonable way to sort of get out of, uh, out of there um, or have somebody pick me up, um, you know, you're at mile 23 and you can kind of see the finish line, you can see the ocean. So obviously you're finishing. So I gimped through uh, the last few miles of that race. Uh, finished uh, okay, obviously not qualifying for Boston, but you know respectable. I, I want to say it was around a 3:45 or so uh, marathon. My ankle was the size of a grapefruit within three minutes, just a wreck. <laughs> and uh, you know I felt kind of silly for for finishing. You know obviously could have hurt myself. Uh, quite a bit. Um, but I was happy I finished, obviously a little disappointed with the time, but, but knew that that was obviously the best that I could do on that day. And, um, probably a little foolish for running in the first place. Um, but you know, I did it. So we moved on with our vacation. Um, and, uh, the next day we had dinner reservations and I'm gimping around everywhere. I can't do anything. <laughs> that foot is, uh, kind of a wreck. And my boyfriend at the time is dragging me to a restaurant. You know, he's hurrying me down the road. We're going to be late for our reservation, late for our reservation. And I'm thinking, I'm injured here. Why, you know, you're dragging me all over town. But uh, finally got to the restaurant, had dinner. And um, obviously at the end of the night, we got down on one knee and proposed. And uh, so now we've been happily married for five years. Uh, so uh, sort of a bummer of a marathon story and, uh, you know, lesson to be learned that so you probably shouldn't be running marathons on, on, uh, hurt ankles. Um, but, uh, ended up okay. And obviously a, a happy ending. So there you go. Well, that's it for today, folks. I want to thank BJ Leeper and Tridot coach Elizabeth James for talking injuries with us today. Shout out to TriTax for partnering with us on today's episode. Head to tritats.com to get everything you need to make your mark on race day. And make sure you use coupon code TRIDOT at the checkout. Enjoying the podcast? Have any triathlon questions or topics you want to hear us talk about? Head to tridot.com slash podcast and click on submit feedback to let us know what you're thinking. We'll have a new show coming your way soon. And until then, 
Happy training. Thanks for joining us. Make sure to subscribe and share the TriDot podcast with your triathlon crew. For more great Tri content and community, connect with us on Facebook, YouTube, and Instagram. Ready to optimize your training? Head to TriDot.com and start your free trial today. TriDot, the obvious and automatic choice for triathlon training.